0: The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan one me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. Touchdown! If you're a fan, you might think this is Sports Evan. This might be college football headline. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now, alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Welcome to the ESPN College Game Day podcast. I'm your pinch hit host, Pete Thamel, (laughs) here with uh, our uh, our weekend standby, Bill Connolly. Uh, Reese Davis is on a well earned vacation. Nobody works harder than uh, than Reese. Hopefully, on vacation, he cannot sleep with his pocket square and not host the show with his toothbrush in the mirror. Uh, It's also Reese's birthday this week, so we're going to wish him a happy birthday from his pod family. And uh, we will we will plow on without him. Lucky to be joined by Bill Connolly, our uh, resident statistical guru, uh, deep dive college football expert, soccer expert and pretty much anything you want expert. So, Bill, happy to have you here today. We are sitting here today on Thursday morning on the cusp of one of the most wonderful times of the year. Midday weekday bowl games start tomorrow. And I know that excites your heart, Bill.
1: Well, you know, I, I, as a soccer person, I'm used to important stuff starting at like two in the afternoon my time. So this is really right in my wheelhouse here. But it, it does uh, nothing. Nothing's better than a Friday afternoon with a Miami-Ohio uh, versus UAB game taking place in the Bahamas. The, the, there is no more apt place to start bull season than the Bahamas. Didn't the Bahamas have like a New Year's Six Bull? I mean, aren't we doing this wrong? Right. Yeah, no, that's, um, I mean, you think about locations in general, like I, I don't have anything against Arizona. Um, but you know, if, if we're, if we're actually putting these in, in the places people most want to go, I would assume Vegas bowl should be new year's six, uh, Bahamas bowl. We should bump some of these up and that's, that's, this is what we'll do when, when the playoff expands. And if we ever get our way and like the quarterfinals are in, um, on home fields or whatever, and the, in the bowls, we're worried about the bowls being, uh, you know, nobody wanted to go to them or whatever. We'll just make the best locations the new biggest bowls, and uh, everybody wins.
0: Yeah, I would think like if I was a Mac team, I would tank to go to the Bahamas Bowl. Right. Yeah, you want I to mean, be good, but not too good. You don't want. Yeah, to in yeah. You want to have a nice. Yeah, exactly. Like if that. That's like that's a miss. You know? Can't you <laughs> see some like confused defensive end being like, wait a minute? And if we lose, we go to the Bahamas, and if we right. win, we go to Detroit. <laughs> like. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's in December. <laughs> we, we need to realign
1: some of this stuff, I, I think, is what we're uh, concluding here.
0: Yes, I think the the bull the the bull gentlemen have been blinded by their blazer colors and are not seeing <laughs> uh, are not seeing what's really uh, what's really important. Well, Bill, you have on ESPN Plus this morning a uh, a giant breakdown of all the deliciousness of this early bull season. You hit key questions. You touch on key games. You do your general wonderful deep dive Give our, give our listeners like two or three things that you are giddy about, uh, in this upcoming early bull season.
1: Well, I do think, and I think I mentioned this last week too, but it's, it's the biggest thing to me, um, the, the happy-to-be-there teams are off the charts this year. Uh, just the teams that made a bowl and are are probably going to be really super thrilled to be there. UConn's in a bowl. New Mexico State's in a bowl. Kansas is in a bowl. Illinois just kind of sneaked under the radar. Somehow Illinois is like the, the 12th biggest or most interesting semi-rags to semi-riches kind of tail in this bowl season. Duke's in a bowl. Tulane's in the freaking Cotton Bowl. uh, First major bowl since like 1939 or something like that. So they're just – those are are the stories that make me really happy because – Obviously bowl season is, you know, I don't want to say diminishing, but changing uh, the, the way we perceive it. The, the importance of bowls to players, all these things are kind of changing in different ways. And so the bowls that always draw my, my interest, the most are the ones where we know that they're super thrilled and and super excited to be playing. And, you know, the it, it, Gatorade on the on the coach for winning the Myrtle Beach Bowl and, and he's crying in midfield, stuff like that. Those are the best stories.
0: So we just have some breaking news happen uh, in a in a in a very interesting way, especially interesting because uh, I live in the state of Massachusetts, as our pod listeners know. Uh, uh, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker has been named the president of the NCAA effective March one of twenty twenty three. Like he's he's the current governor. I think he is. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, Baker is the first NCAA leader with no. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I should know who my governor is. That'd be embarrassing. Charlie Baker is the governor of Massachusetts. Um, he's a I, I try barber. not to
1: know who Missouri's governor is, but so I understand if uh,
0: we're going to have to retape this if I don't know the governor of Massachusetts. Yeah, that's, um, he's definitely the governor of Massachusetts, and we're yeah. going to leave all of this in now, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the office huh. of the governor charlie baker how about that i just got a, a a text from a friend who said you're about to become best friends with charlie baker and i was like why would i be best friends with charlie baker he seems like a nice enough guy um but we don't have a lot in common but now we do have something in common uh the the NCA has reeled in a sitting governor huh. to go to go run the NCA. He's a former harvard basketball player that was that was like a little uh little little ivy uh ivy scratch there that is a uh that's a pretty remarkable uh, that's a pretty remarkable deal.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend I have an opinion or, or know anything about his, what he wants to bring to the table here. But that is uh, I mean, the salary is better for NCAA president than governor, I guess.
0: But is he is he doing both? Is he so there, here's the ambiguity? His term of governor ends in. Uh, january 5th oh okay okay so he's, he's out he's yes okay he's he's the outgoing massachusetts governor and uh yeah i mean look like that that was always going to be a hard job um but they probably dangled you know three million bucks in in front of i i'm just do that that is a pure guess um from how much mark emmert fleeced from them over and over but i uh do you think that job still matters bill Connolly?
1: well it it, I mean, it should, it, it might not, but it, it absolutely should. And, um, you know, as long as the NCAA is still a thing here and we don't end up going to this other organization, at least for football, like, like, as has been discussed here moving forward I, in theory, this job matters a lot and could matter. And, and if the next guy, if Charlie Baker can come in and not just basically beg Congress to save all the things that NCAA is doing wrong right now, if they can actually create a path moving forward, I didn't realize right away. Way how starved I am for NCAA leadership until that, that, that recommendation came out a few, like a, a couple months ago now, where it's like everybody every sport should have at least 25% of its members in the, in the NCAA tournament uh, that thing that came out and everybody suddenly started talking about like a 96 team college basketball tournament and everything like that was nothing. And I, 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 I immediately saw about 138, you know, negatives with that thought, but I was super excited about it because it was a thought. It it was an actual vision for them to follow. And all these things we've got going on right now, the the fact that we don't really regulate NIL at all and nobody knows any sort of the the contracts going on and, and guys are committing to schools and apparently not getting paid what they were supposed to or whatever. You hear all these rumors now. It would be amazing if the NCAA actually just sort of with whatever power it had actually stepped in and tried to provide leadership and a vision. And uh, good luck to him. I, I hope that's still possible. I'm not sure if it is.
0: Yeah, I I trend cynical. That's sort of my role on this podcast. I don't know how possible <laughs> it is. But I think the first problem that Charlie Baker's going to have is you don't have control of football and football controls everything. Right.
1: Yeah, so, no, that's, that's a clear thing. And I, I would love for them to try to actually change like affect football however it can actually affect football but basically just begging congress for help and and scolding people when they seem to be breaking rules that's not going to really get it done
0: yeah it uh i i am i am i i wish the best for charlie baker he's obviously been a good uh, a good leader as you can tell i've been tracking his tenure very closely <laughs> here in the state of massachusetts <laughs> um but uh he's he's clearly clearly a competent guy and, and mark Emmert's tenure was hallmarked by Incompetence, which delved to apathy, which delved to inertia, which delved to regression. I think that would probably be the best way to uh <laughs> to to sum that up. Also, Charlie Baker, welcome to your job. You have the single worst television contract in the history of college athletics. And uh the NCA the NCA basketball television contract, I believe, <laughs> runs through 2032. Oh. So you only have what nine more years uh, of uh, of of that uh, of that terrible contract, which which Mark Emery extended without taking to market, and basically oh, you see these deals they get they get done in multiples of like hundreds of percents, right? Like when right. you when you look at the, yeah. how they go, and they, they this is basically like they get bumped like. Uh, but yet it's like a 1% bump a year for how much they got. And it was eight years from going to market. Think about how much the world changes in TV and valuation. And it was like eight years from going to market. Mark Emirett, uh Mark Emeritt did that. The theory of why, other than him being a horrible businessman, making an epic mistake that will reverberate forever through the uh through the College Sports landscape. And especially that. yeah, it's yes, especially that. So not only was it terrible business, and not only were was he surrounded by people who couldn't stop him, um, but the theory that was worked around that of why you would possibly make such a bad decision was that often leaders like commissioners get huge pay raises when they bring in billion dollar TV deals. And not surprisingly, not long after Mark Emmert got a pay raise and it's like, hey, I just brought us billions. Let's get some more money. And you saw that, obviously, Jim Delaney um, is still swimming in piles of money in, uh, in in his retirement home in Nashville. Larry Scott cashed in in a big <laughs> way. So this is like that mid teens era when everybody was cashing in on this stuff. And uh, the the working theory around uh, around Mark Emeritt, who who always had a little bit of an inferiority complex, is like, oh, look at all these other highly paid executives. They're saying have more power than me. So other than wanting to get more money from himself, there's actually no good reason to have extended NC tournament contract like eight years before he had to not taking it to market. So let's hope for his sake, it was abject greed and not sheer stupidity. Those are the only two options on Mark Emmert doing that. I'm not going to really pretend one of those is better than the other, but <laughs> not, not great. Not great either way. Not great either way. We didn't expect to be talking about this on our, uh, on, yeah, our seriously, on our podcast This was there. a, yeah, this just this blew is, up the, uh, the big production email that we were, we were going to yeah. work through here. This would have been a good test if Reese was here. Cause Reese always says three nice things about someone before he criticizes them. And that might be, <laughs> that might've been hard for Reese to do. Uh, Mark Emmert has good hair. Mark Emirett like looks polished in front of a podium. And he was and he hired Nick Saban. So I guess actually at LSU. Yeah. Um so th- that's what if Reese was here, he would have said three nice things. And then no, and, and then like slightly cringed as I said the other stuff.
1: No, obviously his job was nearly impossible from the start. Mm-hmm. I get it, but you can still perform your very hard job better than it seems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's been it's been a heck of a year for the or heck of a decade, I should say, for the
0: NCAA. Yes. I, I wonder if there's like a stat reference, you know how like you look up coaches and it's like Jamie Chadwell went 12 and one and you can kind of go through. I wonder if they have one for Mark Emmert's tenure of lawsuits won and lost. Every year, because it would be like 0 and 11, 0 and 14. Yeah. And then correspondingly, if they did the the amount of money spent on legal fees as it went up during his uh, during his tenure, there's really some there was really some mind bending incompetence, uh, you know. It, shame on, I guess, the media for not pointing it all out loud enough to to, sh- to shame the presidents into making decisions. The problem is, you get ten college presidents in a room; they can't decide if they want cashews or walnuts. They have to have a subcommittee, you know, to, to or if they want decaf or regular coffee at the table. Um,
1: I, I, yeah, I was about to say, like the, the the shaming was pretty loud at times, and it just didn't seem to make a single difference in the world. So. uh Uh, yeah, no, I, I I just, you know, watching all, all this NIL stuff play out. And then Emirates said at that conference in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. Now, like basically his only, his main solution was hopefully Congress will, will step in. Like they haven't, they're not, they're not anytime soon. Why like at least pretend to have a thought here on how this could work instead of, but, uh, but on the bright side, for those who have been, you know, long cheering, um, the idea of, of athletes being paid through their school uh, or through, you know, as employees, so to speak, we're now seeing the alternative in the NIL era. And, and suddenly the idea of just the schools themselves paying them instead of little black boxes and whatnot uh, sounds better. So there, there is that for those of us who didn't mind that idea to begin with.
0: Well, we've certainly we've certainly hijacked into uh, into NCAA politics enough, Bill. Let's uh, let's let's dive into the story of the week. I, I'd be curious as you come up in this business and you obviously see things you, you certainly see things from a football perspective, but you you write often through a statistical perspective. I don't want to put you in just a statistical box, but that tends to be the prison where you uh, where, where you write from. Put in context for me how you saw Mike Leach change college football from like a numbers perspective,
1: well, I think the two biggest changes of like the last forty years in college football were basically uh, coaches with with unique personalities basically saying this thing that always works we should do it a lot more. Um, one of them was like the Bobby Bowdens and everybody who basically said, "Hey, two minute drill works really really well. We should just do it all the time," um, and and really changing the tempo of the game in a lot of ways. But the other one was Mike Leach and How Mummy. Um, you know, realizing we don't just have to to run a line back, uh, you know, run you know wing T or whatever high schools were running in the 80s and and we can actually these wide open spaces that exist all over the field, we can actually throw the ball into them and make a lot more big plays and and make a lot more plays period. And uh we're not just beholden to whoever has the the, the biggest running back. And the the way that has, Changed everything about the game. We all saw the same tidbits about what was it? Three of the top five in the Heisman were coached by by Leach protégés one way or the other. Um, You know, from Lincoln Riley to Josh Heupel, his OU quarterback in 1999. Um, Like that's the change is absolutely everywhere. And it's been such an absurdly hard week for for sports in general with with first the Grant Wall passing oh, uh, and, and then Mike Leach like two days later. Um, but in both cases, the best thing I can say about both of them in different ways was the change that they lived their lives attempting to orchestrate took hold. And and so their, the, the legacies for both men, but especially Mike Leach in college football and football period, like it's, it's absolutely everywhere and it's going to always stick not having the most orthodox, most re- devout member of the air raid church. Uh, you know, Dana Holgerson's out here running the ball sometimes and Lincoln Riley run loves to to run the ball and doesn't use tempo. They all have their different versions of it, but Michael Leach was out here still running the absolute purest version of the air raid and it's going to. It's going to stink not having that him around in that regard. It's going to stink not having him available to text. Like you always had to be careful when you were going to text Mike Leach because you had to be ready to spend an hour on the phone um, and I, I hate that the last time I had an opportunity to talk to him for a story, I decided not to uh, a couple of years ago, wrote a, a piece about how the spread won, basically the revolutions over spread one. And, and knowing he had given so many quotes about all that stuff through the years, I just wanted to talk to other guys instead. And it sucks because that, that would have been another notepad full of Mike Leach quotes that I had, uh, to, to look back on and it didn't happen. So it's just you know th- there's always going to be the present tense and 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 how much it's terrible to not have him around but his legacy there was absolutely no question in his legacy he, he's going to end up having changed the, the game more
0: than nick saban did like and, and there's no doubt in my mind in saying that yeah, So he became a head coach early 2000s, right? He was, he was the Oklahoma O.C. Year, year 2000. He was the Oklahoma year O.C. 99. 99, yeah. yeah. And the, he took them from like 10th in the Big Ten in offense to first and, and goes in. How different does the NCAA football record book look <laughs> <laughs> like from that moment in time in 2000 to now? And again, there's others, too. We certainly just don't want to say it's Mike Leach. There was. You know, June Jones had Timmy Chang at Hawaii. He was an early statistical anomaly guy. I think Rich Rodriguez is probably underappreciated. Bobby Petrino, to some extent, Urban Meyer certainly gets tons of credit for it. There's others who sort of brought in these eras of wide open offenses. But I think Leach, especially with the air raid, really just started the like just the conga line of guys who would lead the nation in passing every year.
1: Yeah, I mean. It, it, it's it's so Art Briles was the Texas Tech uh, running yeah. backs coach from 2000 to 2002. All time leading passing yardage leader is Case Keenum, um, who I believe was under Briles at Houston. I think that was, was I think the he, he
0: Sumlin- started with, but he definitely ended with someone because they yeah. had that year they were really yeah, good it, in right Red but high. They with lost Bryles. in the CUSA title game. Yes. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, Landry Jones is third on the all-time list, and he was coached by Josh Heupel at OU. Um, Graham Harrell is fourth. He was coached by Mike Leach. Um, Baker Mayfield is seventh uh, in, in his career was was uh, very driven by Lincoln Riley. Luke Falk is eighth. He was coached by Mike Leach. Um, it's incredible. you got a couple of Hawaii guys on there. You've got yeah. June Jones' influence and all that. But just going down the list of passing yardage leaders, it's all from the last 15, 20 years. And yeah. a majority of the guys were coached by either Leach or somebody who was coached by Leach um, or, 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 or was an
0: assistant for Leach. So, Who's the leader, like pre two thousand? Like what? Where does that guy rank now? <laughs> so
1: Timmy Chang's career started in two thousand. Okay. So there is right. that one. But before that, you had Ty Detmer, who okay was coached by Lavelle Edwards, who influenced Mike Leach, Mike Leach. significantly. Yeah. Um, and before that, like after Ty Detmer, the next guy on the oh my god, the next guy on the list, twenty uh, fourth uh, with twelve thousand seven hundred forty six yards is Tim Rattay, uh, ninety seven and ninety nine at Louisiana Tech. So basically of the top 30 current yardage leaders in college football, three of them played before 2000. Um, so, and I mean, we're used to, that, that happens a lot in sports in general is, you know, things get magnified in recent records overpower old records, but that's, that's crazy. That That's extremely significant. There was one guy before the two thousands who had passed for more than uh 13,000 yards, and now there are 18 guys who have done so. B.J. Simmons, mm-hmm. now, I'm, now I'm playing with numbers. B.J. Simmons still has the second greatest passing yardage season of all time, 5,833 yards, 2003 Texas Tech. Graham Harrell was, had 5,705, 2007 Texas Tech. Case Keenum, like the, the single yardage, it's <laughs> it's all like run and shoot, Lavelle Edwards and Mike Leach, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad we brought that up because I, I did, uh, it, it is the story. It's going to be a story all off season, but, um, yeah. like that was from, from there, we can either switch gears to bulls or yeah. let's or, go to, let's
0: go to Kenny. Quick yeah, and yep, and, and yep. then we'll go to, uh, and then we'll right. go to bulls, um, three, two, one, uh, on the opposite side of the, uh, offensive, uh, spectrum, <laughs> there is, there is Navy, uh, Kenny Niamatololo, uh, the all-time winningest coach at Navy, was fired. He told our Heather Dinich that he was fired at his locker right after a double overtime loss, which included a fumble on like the one foot line oh, at yep. the uh, at the end of a uh, at the end of a slog of a uh, of a game. Um, I don't even think Navy gave up an offensive touchdown in regulation. Correct? <laughs> it was only a block. It was only only a block punt. So anyway, Kenny Niamatololo. Offensive innovator, uh, you know, inspiration, inspire of Chip Kelly. I know is one of the many, many noted offensive offensive minds who uh, have learned from Niamat. One of the good humans in the game. I thought it was telling Oof. that Matt Rule came out and said, Kenny Montalolo is the one coach I'd want my son to play for. Right. Um, and now Rule has said that for years uh, back when he was in the American at Temple. Just love Niamat the way he did things. Um, Bill, curious your thoughts on uh, on the way Kenny Niamat got let go at Navy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's never going to be a complete surprise when you just look at the fact that he had, you know, he won either three or four games for the last five years. Um, And so from that perspective alone, anytime that that guy gets fired, you know, it's not, you're not going to be completely floored by it by any means, but just knowing knowing about this job, knowing about his performance, going back to being Paul Johnson's OC at Navy and then taking over, you know, Paul Johnson did well enough at Navy that he got the Georgia tech job. And and then Kenny Amatalolo takes over and does better. Um, Just a a ridiculously successful run there when they didn't quite have the quarterback, they would fall back for a minute and then they'd find the next awesome quarterback, the next Keenan Reynolds type. And they'd, they'd win a ton of games for four years. Um, You know, I think what we've seen from the the service academy jobs in recent times was you know navy did a good job a decade ago of of kind of of investing of of really figuring out the the best way the to to win recruits the best way to kind of tow the Naval Academy rules. And I think they were the ones that that first kind of broke through and, and they were allowed to, to, you know, guys didn't have to weigh under 260 pounds or whatever it was they could during the season, at least they could get up to 280, 290, and, and they could have kind of more FBS quality athletes in the trenches, if I remember right. Um, but this is always going to be a hard job. And I think what we saw was Air Force and Army both caught up in terms of investment and Nia and Modalolo for a long time was kind of hinting that they were falling behind and just from a resources standpoint. And when you're basically recruiting against two schools and those teams both start to have better resources than you and, and start to win more recruiting battles, you're going to fall behind. And that's not really your fault. And so I I get when, when you go three and 10, three and seven, four and eight, four and eight for the last five years, like the, the AD who's trying to keep his job is probably going to let you go. But if the investment doesn't improve, if they don't get their resources back to where they need to be just in comparison to army and air force, next guy's not going to win either. Um, So you can kind of look at this as an AD basically buying himself time, but you're, you are you better do the right things here moving forward or, or the next guy you hire doesn't have much of a chance.
0: Yeah, and I don't think Clint... Chuck Gladchuck's going to be at Navy much longer. I mean, Chuck Gladchuck's a veteran AD. He's been at Boston College. He's been at Houston. He's been at Navy for a long time. Uh, I believe he's part of the CFP committee right now. And the, and the thought was right, when yeah. the, when that ended, um, you know, he, he's 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 in his twilight. Let's let, let's put it. Okay. Uh, let, let's put it that way. And certainly Neomontalo's recent performance. <clears throat> it's hard to argue that that didn't dictate some sort of measures being you know being taken here. But the manner that that it happened, and, and I yeah. agree on the resources too, but the manner that it happened was just uh, unforgivable. <laughs> I, I just you can't you can't treat people that way. You can't treat yeah. someone who's been so good to a place for so long. Right. Um in that uh, in that manner. And I really respect Neonata Lolo for for speaking out about it too because I really feel like that is rare sometimes guys just, you know, get fired and sort of go in. And, and I think he felt like he'd earned a lot more respect and it's, it's hard to uh, it's hard to disagree. Uh, it's hard to disagree there. Um, yeah, and,
1: and they really did pick it up offensively um, down the stretch of the season. Their defense improved dramatically back when they, they had that rebound year uh, in 2019, went 11 and two, it was good in 2020. It was pretty good this year. It was just, you know they they dug themselves a hole early on, um, and and they couldn't quite recover. But they scored fifty three on Tulsa, thirty four on SMU, twenty seven on Temple, thirty two on Notre Dame. Uh, almost beat Notre Dame. Yeah. Um. You know it, it it dried up again at the end, and it always dries up against Army. Those are always just absolute teen versus teen rock fight kind of uh, scores. But um. You know they had shown a little bit of improvement, and you could have you know. I don't know. You, you, you could have justified, I think, easily justified keeping him another year, much less firing him when you did.
0: Yeah. Uh, did you see the understat on Army-Navy that finally broke because of double overtime this year? That was bouncing around social yeah. media this week. It was, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, I forget <laughs> I, how many years in a row, but it was a lot of years in a row that it was the end. Yeah,
1: and, and I mean, the books were, were struggling because they would, they lowered it a lot. Like it was always in kind of the high 30s, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like 32 this year and and it yeah. still wouldn't have hit the over. And, and by the way, I don't think we should count. I think the point total should stop at the end of regulation. I agree with
0: that, by the way. But. but
1: but yeah, it took double overtime for them to actually hit the over, and they put the uh, the under just obnoxiously low. And it still
0: it was yeah. whatever it was 10 10 or whatever at the end of regulation. Yeah, never bet the under. Uh, any thoughts, Bill, before we move into some bull games on Ryan Walters, a uh, promising young coach, getting the Purdue job, and Zach Arnett, another promising young defensive coach, being promoted at Mississippi State? Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like Ryan Walters a lot. I was surprised when his l- name was linked with Colorado. Uh, I thought that made obvi- obvious sense considering what he had done, uh, you know, defensively at, at Illinois so quickly. Uh, and he's an alum of Colorado. So I thought I, I was excited about that for him. And then they go in and they had Deion Sanders instead. And looks like his opportunities passed. Then it gets a big 10 job. <clears throat> that was kind of a, not, that was not really how I expected that to go. I think, I mean, dude's sharp. Dude is extremely sharp, and and has proven that he not only understands, uh, you know, has a very strong vision for aggressive defense, but he can, you know, take three star guys at Illinois and and suddenly have a lot of guys playing like four star guys. Like the developmental angle there, I think was very impressive. It, you know, if I have a hesitation here, you know your your conference mates, your division mates in the West just hired Luke Fickle and Matt Rule, and you're hiring a, a rookie defense, a rookie head coach and, and former defensive coordinator. That's that's a steep learning curve, um, and and you're hiring a defensive, well, a, a guy with a defensive reputation you know, for a job that usually scores points um, at Purdue or has for the last 25 years. So that's, I'm I'm curious about that aspect of it, but he's passed, he's been very good at his last couple of jobs as defensive coordinator and he earned a promotion. We'll just, we, we don't know everything we need to know about him as a head coach yet.
0: Yeah. I uh I think it'll be really interesting who he hires as OC. By the time yeah. people listen to this, that may uh that that may happen. Um Seth Luttrell, uh the old North Texas coach was an early name there. I was told yesterday that's not gonna happen. Um Graham Harrell is another name. That's right. He's that, available. Yeah, yeah. It could be available. Could be available. Um I yeah, I wouldn't I I would think that's You know, that's a name that's been bandied about a little bit, but you do need and he was smart. He called it the cradle quarterbacks and the den of defensive ends. Right. And they've had some great players on defense, too, for all their wonderful, wonderful offensive skill players and quarterbacks. They've really had uh, that. That program has really turned out a lot of very good football players. And so um, but yeah, Ryan Ryan cannot uh, he cannot hire Paul Christ as his offensive coordinator. Let's put it (laughs) that way. Like he's going to have to keep some of that Purdue uh, Purdue DNA, uh, Purdue DNA in there. Well, Bill, let's uh, let's go pick some bowl games. Um, it, we're we're going to do this in a, in a very finite set here. Our, our friend Reese isn't here with us, so who we can hoodwink into buying you more uh, more ribeye? Do, right. do we have a small? Do you, do you have any any idea on like nice small side bet maybe for you and I, Bill, for this just this like <laughs> degenerate swath of bowls we're about to dive into here? Well, I was going to say like you know the ribeye has
1: been paid for, but you know the baked potato hasn't. You know, there's, <laughs> there's plenty, the side dishes could be distributed in a number of ways if we wanted yeah. to. You know, yeah. tie that into one meal that that'll happen sometime in like the next nine months, whenever we're yes. in the same room together again.
0: Yes. Well, let's uh, why don't why don't we uh, why don't we why don't we wager the, the first round of drinks at the bar? <laughs> That's before right. We, before we before we go with that, yeah. it'll hopefully be in the afternoon in the spirit of the degenerate games. We're about to uh, we're <laughs> about to dive into here and uh, we can uh, we can start with our favorite game, the uh, Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. Old Dominion best in the game is brought to you by old Dominion freight line, helping the world keep promises. And uh, the best in game bowl that we, we chatted a little bit already is UTSA Troy. That's a, that is a Friday afternoon special. And we'll, we'll, we'll revert back to Miami UAB. Um, as you look at UTSA Troy, one of the great things is that like, we're not dealing with mass opt-outs in this game, right? Like it's two teams that are, that are very happy to be there. I would actually like to do a bowl pool on in, in not pick who I think is going to win, pick who I think cares more. Right, and I bet you'd finish pretty high in your bowl pool yeah. if uh, if 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 you did that. So we've got Troy giving a point and a half to UTSA. Uh, any any thoughts, Bill, on uh, on who who you would uh, who you would wager your beverage on in that game?
1: Yeah, so uh, SP Plus says Troy by one point three. So SP Plus is of no help whatsoever in this one. Um, it basically huh. is right on the line here, which uh, you know happens semi-frequently. But no, this is yeah. There is no advantage here for who cares more. Winner gets twelve. Winner finishes ranked uh, for sure. I guess technically the loser could too, depending on how everything else shapes out. But the winner ends up with twelve wins, which would tie UTSA's record from last year, which would be Troy's record. Um, just two awesome teams uh, in terms of SP plus. UTSA is fifteenth on offense, Troy's tenth on defense, and thirteenth in special teams. Um, you know the our, our, you know early in the season we saw UTSA. You know they lost by 21 to Texas, but physically they matched up uh, very well in terms of a conference USA versus top 10 recruiter matchup, Um, and 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 they they overwhelmed everybody since Troy hasn't lost since that App State uh, Hail Mary game that that
0: I I believe you were in attendance for. I was there earlier in the day. I left because why would I want to stick around for like the greatest finish? Nothing crazy is going to happen in this game. I was at Liberty Wake, which is actually like a fine little uh, game. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, went, uh, went down to a last two point conversion. But it wasn't that finish. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, this I was is, actually um, watching the finish with Ian McCall, the Liberty AD. It was halftime oh, yeah. <laughs> of that game, so he came over in the press box for press box small talk, and right, right. the game was up on uh, on I think is the Liberty beat writer's uh, iPad, and literally like myself, the the other gentleman, uh, I think from the Lynchburg paper, and Ian all went. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. you know, we reacted very unprofessionally. Um, it was halftime of the game. I don't think anyone was going to throw us out, but it was just kind of a funny little moment.
1: Yeah, no, the uh, the only thing better than a Hail Mary is a Hail Mary where something else has to happen afterward for the touchdown to yeah. occur. And Great that point. was just the greatest. Speaking of the Bahamas Bowl, I guess, um, the, the greatest Hail Mary aftermath, uh, Hail Mary hook and ladder and whatnot. But no, for I, I do think... Like just it's really hard to to figure out who has the overall advantage because everything UTSA is really, really good at running the ball. Maybe they they have an advantage there, but Troy's defense is a very good at big play prevention and and making you work the length of the field. Uh, Troy's offense isn't amazing, but they make a lot of big, like any pass play they make is probably a pretty big one. And UTSA has been aggressive enough to give up some big plays. So you can really talk yourself either way. I guess, um, Troy, I, I guess there's a SP plus tells me there's a 0.2 point advantage for UTSA. So I'll go that route, but I don't know. I mean, this is, this is a perfect toss up game between two, two teams that should really care. And, and that's really, that's pretty exciting.
0: There's an interesting backdrop to this game, Bill, from just a conference realignment standpoint. And when yeah. you look at the, how that landscape shifted some in the last five years, uh, UTSA is in that crew of schools from Conference USA that's on its way to the AAC. And they'll start play next year. And it'll be interesting to see how competitive UTSA remains. Right, uh, Harris, their quarterback, has said he's coming back for a 26th year um, to, uh, to to take part in uh, next season. And good rim. Like, if you're not going to get drafted oh, – yeah. And and, and however it happens, I don't even know what the rules are, but like if your coach can do it, the collective can do it, the ADs can do it, some booster from San Antonio Chevrolet can do it. Like give the kid a a good working wage to be a star in the town and be the star of your football program. I just think that's a great, like, that's what NIL is at its core. Now I'm pro NIL in general, but I'm especially pro NIL when it gives a kid like this an option. So he's not like the third string in Saskatchewan all of a sudden he can, you know, get an advanced degree, make the sport better. Everybody, everybody wins. So, you had this little rivalry for years between Conference USA and the Sunbelt. And Troy, obviously, is coming out of the Sunbelt. The the Sunbelt has done an unbelievable job of doubling down on local rivalries. They've invested in programs. Yeah. I think the ESPN contract, and I would say this if I didn't work at ESPN, has been really good for them in terms of exposure. We're all watching on Wednesday night when Louisiana plays Marshall. Uh, I think they've been really strategic, whereas Conference USA and, and some of their issues came. They tried to get a little bit too creative, I think, with their TV deal, and they got a little bit lost in the... Uh, uh, lost in the wilderness. Conference USA was too far flung. Sunbelt has dove into to, to rivalry. So this is sort of the last stand for that Conference USA Sunbelt <laughs> duel, um, uh, because everything's everything's changing. And, and the Sunbelt is staying sort of delightfully the same and is, is really poised to be a nice presence on the uh presence on the landscape until that A Sun whack merger comes after him, Bill. Um <laughs> can't wait. Yes. So that uh, that that said, I guess the, the, they'll they'll play those games on. I don't even know if there's a night of the week left for those games. Um, all that being said, I feel like in this game, I, I just feel like UTSA has more horsepower on offense. Um, Troy has kind of ham and egged it a, a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I will, I will, I will give a parting salute to Carlton Marshall, who is quite frankly, the same <laughs> size as Bill and I. And he is the NCAA's all-time leading tackler. Like we had him on a, uh, on a game day piece. They mic'd him up before the Sun Belt, uh title game it was really cool. And uh, I remember one of the, one of the game day producers, Jim Ayer, coming up, he goes, man, that guy's not very big. <laughs> like he's just like, look, looks like a pretty mortal guy, which is a compliment to him becoming the human with the most tackles in uh you know in the history of uh, of big time college football so yeah. credit card marshall enjoy the heck out of that game um so 11 a.m bill when uh when, when when we have our first uh when we have our first bowl game on friday and that's probably when a lot of people will kind of be diving into our uh diving into our pod are you a breakfast person at, at 11 a.m <laughs> like, um... like what where, where are you what are you where are you uh are you a brunch person or are you are you strike me as an early morning focused
1: person <laughs> Well, we, um, generally I'm a coffee in the AM person, but I'm also a breakfast all day person. So oh. um, one way or the other, I'm getting my, uh, I'm getting my breakfast, food, breakfast food in. I don't know what you eat at the, bah- in the Bahamas before an 11, whatever time it is there noon or 11 or whatever kickoff. Um, that's kind of a, I- I'm not going to quite know who was it Popeye's that sponsored the Bahamas bowl at first. Was that- it was, yeah. it
0: was, and it was delightful.
1: Um, so, I mean, I guess that's how we can celebrate that is I haven't been to Popeye's in a while, but, uh, yeah, no, this one, I, hopefully I won't, as I have at least once before forget that the game starts that early, um, like turn on the TV at at two, two o'clock and it's in like halfway through the third quarter or something, but that one's, you know, it's probably not as, as openly, there's a little disappointment involved when it comes to, especially with with UAB, um, you know, being they were so close to a number of big wins this year. They finished six yeah. and six. They had one, two, three, four, five losses by one score. Um, I know everybody, a lot of the players were campaigning for you know keeping the interim uh, Vincent. And and then they they kind of threw a curveball with who they hired instead. So we'll see what the like motivation levels there. Um, you know Miami went six and six again. It feels like they go about six and six every year. Um, but bottom line is, uh, you know both teams have pretty good defenses. Both teams have, have have pretty good athletes. UAB if they make a good play, it's a huge play. Uh, they got one of the best running backs in the country. So there should be. Fireworks there. We're uh, just—I'm not real sure in terms of the who wants to be
0: there scale. I'm not sure who uh, who gets the nod there. So eleven and eleven points—a pretty big line for a bowl game. Um, Does that does that number scare you?
1: Well, absolutely. Especially since it's UAB, the team I'm a little more worried about on the on the uh, motivation scale. Especially since it's them giving it. Um, Yes, P plus says UAB by twelve, but yeah, I figure if motivation matters at all, it might. Uh, flip towards Miami, Ohio. In that regard, we'll see.
0: So, is that your pick? Is your pick Miami? I guess. I guess you okay. can. I'm yeah. even
1: less committal to all bowl picks than I am to normal picks. But I guess I'll go Miami in this one.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, taking bowls. Uh, I've learned over the years is just a complete exercise in futility between the the opt outs and the the give a hoot factor and. Yeah. um yeah. Just the random variants of some teams take them really seriously. Some teams don't, some teams play all their young guys in practice and they're, you know, they're not ready. Um, some teams go out five nights before the game and show up right. like, like covered in pickle juice. So there's, uh, there's certainly plenty of, uh, certainly plenty of different ways. This, this can, uh, this can go. I do think UAB is better, you know, than, uh, yeah. than, than, than Miami of Ohio. Um, uh, they obviously have a dominant rushing attack, one of the best in all all college football. So, so, so I'm I'm going to just go go against you, Bill, and take UAB. And like clearly, Miami will be up like 24 nothing in the second quarter, and we'll be well, like, right? Oh. And, 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 and then I'll be anytime, like, it's time for lunch.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, anytime I. You know, we, for all the things we will talk about of motivation and wanting to be there, we're only going to be right. Like half the time, the other half of the time it's just not going to make any sense who shows yes. up and who doesn't. Uh, yes. but it, there is a, it is like 40% of bowls end up at least two touchdowns from the spread as opposed to like mid 30%. So it's like a couple extra games than from a normal
0: college football weekend, a couple extra games will make no sense whatsoever. Um, yeah, but that's, you know. that's the way it's felt. It's interesting to hear you quantify it that way. Um, Speaking of games that could go in any direction, uh, the Wasabi Fenway bowl in my hometown, uh, Boston here, I will be in attendance 11 AM on Saturday for the uh, Wasabi Fenway bowl, fired up to uh, fired up to be there. Um, Cincinnati coached by interim Kerry Combs, uh, one of the great motivators, which could be a little, uh, a little inkling if you're trying to parse this game and then uh, Louisville coached by Patriot legend, Dion branch Louisville legend, Dion branch, um, Who will who will be uh, who who, who's gotten a lot of publicity here locally? Rightfully so, Super Bowl hero, etc. You know, great great Patriot player, and uh, he was Louisville's personnel guy coming off to uh, to coach the Cards. I've been told neither. Of the incoming head coaches are going to be in attendance. Scott Satterfield right. made that pretty clear that he's going to uh <laughs> that he's ducking out on this one. And uh Jeff Brom told me this week he's got like 24 visitors coming to to, to Louisville this week. And it makes sense. You got to secure your recruiting class. Signing day is inconveniently, I believe, uh, starts yeah. Wednesday the 21st. So um Securing that next uh, next round of cards uh, is probably a little more important than going to the north end for some pasta and doing the uh, the token third quarter sideline interview with uh, with Kelsey Riggs. So uh, I do wonder if uh, and we'll do a great job covering that game on uh, that game's on ESPN. I do wonder if they'll try to bring in both coaches in some sense digitally because there th- that is sort of the specter looming uh, looming over this game. Yeah, I mean, there's. Nothing screams
1: bowl season like two interim coaches uh, coaching in the shadow of the Green Monster. Uh, that's, <laughs> hey, at least they're playing this year, Bill. <laughs> that's right. You know, first time in three, I guess. Um, no, I think. Oh, you know what is it? What was the line? Louisville by uh, Louisville minus two. Uh, From a numbers perspective, I do think Cincinnati was the better team this year. Um, They didn't necessarily, they're another team, you know, they lost three games by one score. They won a few games by one score, too. They kind of had that tendency sometimes of doing just enough and then, uh, uh, you know, kind of packing it in a little bit and and saving all the tricks for the next week. But I do think they're a really, really solid team on paper. Both teams have better defenses than offenses. Uh, But I think, um, if motivation, uh, who the hell knows how motivation matters in this game? Um, if, if it just comes down to who's better, I do think Cincinnati's better. Uh, so if you're giving Cincinnati a couple points, I'll go that route um, and, and I'll take the take the Bearcats here.
0: Well, talk about a bowl where we don't have conviction. We don't know who's coaching, and uh, there's some there's there's some limited uh, limited playing. I'm going to. Uh... I'm going to not take Louisville just because I don't know. Uh without Malik Cunningham, it's just hard to imagine <laughs> them uh m- m- hard to imagine them moving the uh moving the ball. Scott Satterfield was obviously their play caller. He's not there. It just doesn't seem uh it just doesn't seem like it's it's gonna be a day of high motivation for the card. So we'll uh, we'll go with uh we'll go with uh, Coach Combs getting the boys fired up at, at uh at at Cincinnati. Saturday night, I think it's Saturday night. No, no, it's actually Saturday day in, uh, yep. in Las Vegas. We have Florida playing Oregon state, um, Oregon state is a 10 point favorite over the Gators who do not have Anthony, uh, who do not have Anthony (laughs) Richardson. Um, A compliment to, to a, uh, to a beaver program um, that they could be a 10 point favorite against the SEC team. Even if it's a shorthanded (laughs) SEC team, it's still an SEC team. Uh, Bill, any thoughts uh, on the game in the desert? The, the, the the gentleman in the desert, like the gentleman from Corvallis.
1: Yeah, I know Oregon state Overachieved projections for each of the last one, two, three, six games of the season in terms of um, SP plus projections, they really figured some things out, uh, you know, and that's a pretty incredible thing to say when their offense didn't really click all that much. Uh, their defense just was, very very good the, you know 34 points against Oregon but uh you know t- seven against Arizona State 10 against Cow, t- nine against Colorado 10 against Washington State if you don't bring something to the table offensively they're they're not going to give you anything so so I guess the question is, does Florida have anything to bring to the table offensively? Um, I know they'll still be able to run the ball pretty well. <clears throat> you know, that's just, they, they seem to have, or at least pretty explosively, they were a little inconsistent, but very, very explosive uh, in the run game this year. Maybe that's enough Oregon State for all their strengths. A lot of them came in past defense. So there's a chance Louis, uh, Florida doesn't even try to pass uh, because, you know, the whole, you know, me playing quarterback kind of situation there. But um I maybe maybe that's enough. It's really really hard to 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 pick Florida when you just don't know much about Florida. <clears throat> it's obviously closer to Oregon state, you figure. Uh their fans will have a decent presence there as much as there is a presence there. And 10 points is a lot, but uh I, I guess I'll go with Beavers just because of uh you know, knowing something about who they're going to p- field in 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 important positions and knowing they have a pretty good defense.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on the Beavers. Uh, one of my favorite uh, breakout players this year has been uh, Oregon State freshman tailback Damian Martinez. He rushed for 970 yards, so he'll go over 1,000 this year. 6.1 yards a carry, seven touchdowns, really one of the best dynamic young backs in the nation. And I feel like this could be a great showcase for him. And one of those games, you, if you have a big bowl game, it's a lot better for you the next season than if you have a big week 10, right? Because the, right. there's more eyeballs, you're in exclusive windows, the bowl games matter, get it? Like if Quinn Ewers has a great bowl game. He's going to be in the Heisman race to start next year, <laughs> even though he had like a, a pretty good mid mid season slump. So, um, and against Washington's defense, that may happen. So, there's just a, I, I feel like Martinez is one of those guys. In um, Oregon State's got a great offensive line that this could really be. How about a 10 win season for Jonathan Smith? That'd be something. Yeah. You know, uh, good for him. Yeah. They just extended him, and that, that's it's strong.
1: Yeah, and I mean, early on, even early on, you know, they, they did get thumped by Utah. Maybe that threw us off the scent a little bit, but they almost beat USC. And and maybe if you weren't really catching on to how good they were, like the Boise, like thumping Boise was very impressive. Th- thumping Montana State was very impressive. No, that's not. Um, you know, you don't do that necessarily, uh, with those top FCS teams. So they were showing hints. They, they almost beat USC, but they really did just once, once the schedule let up a little bit and they were playing the Colorado's and Stanford's and whatnot, they just kept figuring things out and, and eventually started figuring out things offensively late in the year as well. So yeah, good, really, really good season for them. And it'd be kind of, it'd be kind of fun if, if, if they're the ones that finish with the, uh, 10 wins here.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It's almost like he's built a little bit of Chris Peters, Washington at Oregon State. Does that make sense? And with a little bit of uptick in quarterback play, they could take that yep. next step. I feel like in the uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah, Defense uh, was dramatically better than anything else he's fielded there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to shift. Uh, we're going to stay west. We're going to shift uh, a little bit more west. And we're going to go to the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl presented by Stifle. Uh, Washington <laughs> State, Fresno State, Fresno, three and a half point favorite. Do we know if Jay Kaner's playing Bill Connolly. I have not seen that he's not.
1: Um, okay. That was you, you never know. You never really trust that, that, you know, before kickoff. But by all accounts, it seems like he's playing so far, at least.
0: All right. Uh, Does that affect um, how you how you pick this game? It's a pretty good quarterback matchup. Cam Ward versus uh, Jay Kane.
1: Yeah. You know, this was one that um, SP Plus and the spread disagree with significantly. You have Fresno, Fresno minus three and a half. SP Plus really, really likes Washington State's defense and says Washington State by six and a half. Wow, that's, um, that's got to be
0: one of the bigger spreads of the year. Yeah, right?
1: and and usually it has to do with players not playing, which um, you know I, I don't know who that would be though. Like I, it seems yeah. like this is um that's a bigger disagreement. Usually that means SP Plus is missing something. I don't know what it's missing though. I think this just it it might be really um uh, underselling Washington State here. It was underestimating Fresno State late in the year because they had that that major slump early in the season. But that's a lot of points. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the hint there and, and go with Washington State.
0: Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm going to listen to your numbers too, Bill. I feel like you ignore your numbers and they get sad and then you lose, and then you get sad. And, it's That's just right. and then really they get sad... less
1: accurate and everything yeah. just
0: falls apart. Yeah. So we're going to keep, we're going to keep you rolling here. Uh, and we're going to roll to the lending tree bowl. Mike Bloomgren's rice owls uh, backdoor in at five and seven, which is not <laughs> anything to be ashamed of at rice. One of the most difficult jobs in the country. They've really built the program up for this moment. Uh, I talked to Bloomer the other day. He said his guys were so fired up. They were practicing for the lending tree bowl like they were practicing for the Super Bowl. And they will play <laughs> Southern Miss, who enters as a six-point favorite. Your thoughts, Bill?
1: Um My thoughts on that Southern Miss is more than six points better than Rice. Uh, If motivation matters, like it does seem like, I mean, this is a really neat opportunity for Rice and after a pretty bad funk late in the year where they were underachieving projections and the spread pretty badly, they showed well against North Texas in that, in that final game, almost beat them. Um, That was, that was an encouraging sign. But I mean, Southern Miss, I think was much better late in the year, even with some losses they lost by three to coastal lost by seven to South Alabama. Nothing really shameful about that. Um, um, but I think of the the units in this game, Southern Miss's uh, defense is probably the best unit. Southern Miss special teams might be the second best unit. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that motivation levels being semi equal, Southern Miss wins by more like ten or twelve.
0: Yeah, for those uh, for those investing in this game, I would uh, I would keep an eye on Rice's quarterback health, which has really been just bad for like the last three years. There, they've they've churned <laughs> through they've churned through guys and. Uh, and really, uh, and really struggled to stay healthy at that position. Uh, I would be disingenuous if I knew a, a specific update on that. But if you, if you were going to do more than just enjoy the, uh, just enjoy the Lending Tree Bowl, then, uh, then that. Let's, uh, let's shift a little bit south, Bill, to the, uh, New Mexico Bowl. Is Gildad no longer the sponsor? That'd be disappointing if it's not. Um, it had been for, it been for many years. Didn't the New Mexico Bowl used to be the first bowl?
1: If, that, it was at
0: least on the first day. I yeah, it was like that, yeah. it used to do monster ratings and it was terrible games. So God <laughs> bless it. Uh, that
1: one year that Colorado State, I think they came back on, on on Mike Leach's Washington State. That was a I don't remember what the the that's the one I remember. That's I, I've
0: watched all of them and that's the one I remember. But that was a delightful game. <clears throat> yes. Um there were a few years where they were a little bit, a uh, little bit less, but anyway, we are, we, we, we do not complain about bowl games here on this podcast. We like bowl games and I like SMU BYU two teams that probably, you know, this will be an interesting motivation game, right? Neither team had a great season. They both got to come in a little bit, a little bit disappointed. Um, BYU did make a little bit of a turn at the end. They made some staff changes. SMU uh, just kind of, I think was been fighting it all year trying to, trying to find a bit of identity in Rhett Lashley's first year. What do you, what do you think? How do you think this one unfolds, Bill?
1: Um, I like SMU in this one, uh, if only because, you know, from SP plus says SMU by 6.2, uh, which already means, you know, three points away from the line. And then you factor in that Jaron Hall really starting to look like he might not play for, for BYU, uh, trying to come back from injury, I believe. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully he does, because if he does, this is one of the more points potential bowl games uh, around and we'll see what they what they can do without him. But I do think uh, I trust SMU a whole lot more. I like the hire that BYU made here, um, who's Jay Hill from we- oh, yeah, Weber sure. State. I think that's gonna that, that's a nice hire for them moving toward the Big Twelve. But in terms of what they are right now, I trust SMU much more.
0: Yeah, you know, SMU did end the season winning uh, winning four or five. The only loss came at Tulane, which, which I think was probably a little more fresh in my mind because they got curb stomped in New Orleans s- that night. They got smoked by oh. Tulane, yeah. That was, and that was Just. really the
1: only poor performance they had over
0: that last month, but it was really poor. Yes, and they did hang the, the beautiful uh, double sevens on Houston yep. uh, at, <laughs> at home in the 77-63 uh, game. Um, hopefully Mike Leach is watching that in heaven at some point, that's um, right. you know, slowly on the remote. Cause that's, you know, you want to talk about the impact of Mike Leach on football. We did not have games <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that unfolded in that manner. Um, prior uh prior to that. And then they won a wacky one against Memphis to end the year. So it's a way of saying there's a little bit of momentum there. It will be interesting to hear on Jaron Hall. I do think, you know, we're gonna expect I I expect not only a decision on the bowl game coming up here, but also Bill on uh his NFL status. He's an older yep. guy. You know, some scouts really like him. He's a little bit divisive. He could be a guy who rises in the process. He's an impressive guy. There's a good track record in that quarterback room at BYU. So um That said, with some flux on the defensive staff and such, I I think, you know, you could count on, you could count on SMU to score and you could count on BYU letting people score this year. So those, (laughs) those trends are going to, uh, those trends are going to roll, roll my way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny with Jaron Hall, by the way, the, I think the fact that he can run almost confuses people because he really doesn't run all that much. Um, he scrambles for first downs and that's really about it. And he completed 66% of his passes, 31 to six TDs to interceptions. Um, just a really lovely year for him. And it was a third straight year where BYU had a a really solid offense. It's just the defense uh, was a weakness last year and was a bigger weakness this year. And, and he's, he's making changes because of
0: it. Yep. Um, well, we'll go to the Frisco Bowl, um, North Texas, which I believe is. Oh, it's in Denton, right? Is North Texas in Denton? Yes, yes, yes which is close to Frisco, but is not Frisco. Uh, Frisco is where the Cowboys facility is, right? The, uh, that, sound, that sounds that sounds correct. Yeah, the the, the Jerry. Bowl. that that area. There's a great story. Uh, Gene Taylor, the Kansas State AD, told me once, like when he was at North Dakota State, and they made like their first fcs final and it was in frisco there was like two high schools in frisco and now there's like 12 now i'm kind of making up the details there but that's just indicative of that area is just gone like
1: and, and all of them have uh, football stadiums that, that hold forty five thousand people yeah.
0: exactly god yeah. bless america uh <laughs> north texas uh god has not blessed them uh seth luttrell is out there will be uh, an interim coach who i don't even know if i know who that is oh no i do know it's uh it's the veteran defensive coordinator. Oh, Bennett? Yes, Phil Bennett. Thank you. Okay. Phil Bennett is going to uh is is going to uh is going to do that. And they're obviously playing Boise State, which has authored like a, a very sweet turnaround. and you know, ended up being one of the better sort of midseason hairpin turns of the year. Boise favored by 10 and a half. Uh North Texas uh, you know finished strong enough to make conference USA title game wasn't enough to save Seth Luttrell who got fired with a 44 and 44 record over, over seven years. Any, any feel on the old Frisco, but it'd be hard for like the North Texas fans to really rally for this game. Right. Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it's there, it's, it's nearby. It is close. Yes. It is
0: close. Yeah.
1: um, Yeah. I, I, Without knowing it, who's who's opting out or or whatever, I wouldn't think all that many people would hear like from a from a pure number standpoint, that, that's a little much for Boise. Um obviously they were much better late in the season, but they did kind of trail off. Like they they almost lost to Wyoming. Uh they did lose to Fresno at home by by a healthy margin, too. So I, I do think like that's um they, they, I don't think they're ten points better. Uh, obviously, if motivation becomes an issue, we'll see exactly what North Texas brings to the table with with the coaching change and everything. But it, based purely on on what we've seen, I think it's more like Boise's, you know, six, seven, eight points better. And and so I guess that means I'll take the Mean Green.
0: All right. I uh, I think Boise is much better, and uh, <laughs> I think North Texas exploited the, you know, kind of plumbed a bad league and, and shimmied their way to the title game. I can't see North Texas being particularly motivated uh, for, right. for, for this game at this point. So I am going to go with the boys in blue down in Frisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings us, Bill, to our final, final bowl game, <laughs> uh, Monday, December 19th. Is this an afternoon game? Do we know? Uh, um, the Myrtle beach bowl. Marshall, I just assume, but let's, let's actually confirm that
1: real quick here. We need
0: more. I, and again, you're a bigger world cup guy than I am, but I, I would have it on in the background. There's, there's something delightful about having like a riveting sporting event on just randomly during the day. Um,
1: uh, 1 yeah, 30 PM.
0: Oh, God bless. Oh, our that's schedule Central, sorry. So two 30, Eastern, but that, yes, that is, that mid-Eastern. is perfect. Bring you right to that Monday happy hour with your old, uh, with your old college buddies back in town. Um, <laughs> Monday December 19th workload starts to uh starts to to to, to taper off a little bit. Absolutely. Um any thoughts on uh on old Marshall playing the Huskies? Marshall's defense is outstanding. Um
1: one of the best in the country, Group of Five or not Group of Five, they ended up eight in defensive SP Plus. I, I know I said last week that I was pretty sure Marshall was gonna was gonna destroy UConn, and and you know as proof that people listen to the podcast, if you are UConn fans notice that, um, and started pointing out all the other projections that SP Plus got wrong about UConn this year. So I I will indeed acknowledge that UConn. How can you project UConn? They have
0: fifty new players. Like right. there's no and, there's no formula that can quantify that. No offense to your fine formulas, but that's no. just like too many variables.
1: Yeah, um, and and I mean, you know, if we're being honest, they did beat Fresno. Fresno's a, a solid team. Fresno was in a spectacular funk at the time, but you know, otherwise. The 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 flagging Liberty team was really the only team that, uh, that that they beat that was particularly good. So and that includes Boston College. So um, I'm going to assume Mar- this, this would be probably the best team that UConn has beaten if UConn beats this team. Uh, SP Plus says Marshall by 17. So even if you think there's an overachievement factor there with the lines at like 10, um, I, I feel pretty good about Marshall still. I, I I hope it'd be really fun if I was wrong here because this has been a, just an incredible story to to watch unfold. UConn plays rock solid defense themselves, and Marshall's pretty inconsistent on that side of the ball. So it's not unheard of uh, if they keep this close or win it, but I still trust Marshall.
0: Yeah, my, my proudest accomplishment as an ESPN employee so far uh this year Bill would be that I got Jim Moore to talk about his haunted house in That's an article. Right. I really feel like I really feel like there's a distant second. I don't really know what else that would be, but uh sitting in Moore's office uh this spring and he and he, and he opened up about the uh the haunted house and then Gene Wojciechowski did a heck of a game day feature on it um including Gene wearing a Ghostbusters costume. Okay. Um I missed that. Yes, covered as well. It was it was fantastic. It was fantastic. So, um Yeah. That said, uh, credit Maura for reviving a haunted program, um, using terrible, terrible puns. (laughs) Um, yes, exactly. But I think Marshall is just much better. They had a little midseason funk came out of it in a, in a, in a strong way. UConn's offense just isn't very good and they're very beat up. And, uh, I think they're gonna have a hard time moving the ball. I don't think Marshall's gonna score 42 in this game. No. But I but I don't think Yukon's gonna score 14. So I think Marshall sort of ham and exit and figures out a way to uh to to kind of win, win going away. Yep. Agreed. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, so uh, look forward. We we disagreed on a few of these, right? I feel like we we might have there might have been a little more uh, a little more symmetry on these. You could tell we we did uh, astounding research um, before we uh, before we rolled in here. But um, hopefully, the spirit of our conversation, which is really uh, which really matches this time of year, which is a lot of bowls, a lot of fun. Um, everybody enjoy the games, uh, enjoy your holiday gatherings, enjoy your families, and uh, we'll be back. <laughs> enjoy escaping your families to watch bad boy Oh, games. that's right yeah, that's it exactly. that is it that is it that, that is a family tradition like no others um yeah enjoy this and we will be back uh in some form or fashion next week to uh to bring you in the holidays and preview the rest of the bulls where we promise to do better this is the college game Mate podcast i'm pete family with bill Connolly. thankfully reese davis will be back next week